There's one thing I want you to do for me. What? Come here. When? What are we waiting for? Take us! Everybody. Welcome to the Tim Gaither Podcast, episode 79. My guest today is going to be Dustin Kaufman, the newest comedy club owner in Kansas City. He's got a comedy club called the Comedy Club of Kansas City, and uh, so we're going to talk to him about it. Hang on one second. Hey, Dustin, you there, buddy? I am here. Hi, Tim. How you doing, man? You doing all right? I'm doing great, man. It's a cold day in Kansas City, but I'm doing good. What's the uh, weather like there? Yeah, well, that's not that's like a damn heat wave from what I've heard uh, has been going on in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, man, that negative eighteen is crazy. But after that, twenty doesn't feel too bad. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, even uh, even in California at night, it's been getting pretty cold, and I'm like, well, I didn't sign on for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't remember cold. I mean, I was there for a long time. I don't I don't ever remember anything other than hot and sunny, occasional rain. Yeah, I'm I'm not paying four times the mortgage I would in Kansas City to be cold. You know, that was always a thing for me in California, too. Like, I would, uh, like, you know, Kansas City, 60 degrees, it's spring, it's fall, the windows are down, the, you know, the sunroof is open. And I remember when I first moved to California and people would be in my car and the sunroof was open at 60 degrees, and they'd be like, it's really cold, can you close? So, I'm like, it's, it's yeah, when you come, when you, you for you forget, and then now that now when I go to other places during the winter time, I'm like, oh, that's right. Every, it sucks everywhere else right now. <laughs> <laughs> so after negative eighteen, you can walk into twenty with like a Hawaiian shirt, shorts on. Like, who's ready for the beach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I miss a lot of things about Kansas City, but that's that's not one of them. Um, but it is great for comedy. It seems like whenever the weather sucks or it's super cold, it seems like, uh, comedy has always been best then, which I never really understood. It seems like it should always be good. But, um, anyway, what, what's your, uh, when's your start date? you you, we, you pushed it back a little bit. You were hoping to open at the beginning of March and now it's going to be like the third week of March, right? March 14th, or March 14th, we pushed it back. I mean, you know, we're still hoping for a soft opening. We're, uh, we are still ho- hoping for that. But, yeah, middle of March is when we're going to open here in Kansas City with, uh, with Jeremiah Watkins. If you uh, have a soft opening, who who, uh, who are you hoping to get? Well, <laughs> <laughs> well if, this, if Tim Gaither happens to be in town with his babies visiting his family, then... I mean, it's hard to say, man. I mean, obviously, if Tim, if you're in town, we had you on the schedule. If you're going to be in town with the family and we're able to do it, then we'll do it. Um, my hope is even if we can do it the day before we open, you know, a couple of days just to just to get on Facebook and say we're open and, you know, have, have a bunch of people show up. Well, plus you want to, you know, it seems like you'd want to have a night to uh, work out any kinks or bugs or, or you know. How... Oh, sure, media not have a media night, just have something to get, you know. You're right, and that's what, that is what we want to do. So, uh, that, yeah, that is, that is our plan. But, right, yeah, the walls are going up, uh, the sign's up, the awning's up, uh, the calendar's booked, it's, the city's excited, the, the page lights are Man, the, the support we have from the city here is crazy. You know, uh, it took us a, a two months to get our first thousand likes on our Facebook page there. Yeah. It took, it took us less than a month to get our next thousand. And now, this past seven days, we've had almost 600 page likes alone. I mean, the support uh, is unreal, man. Uh, the interaction from the city. I think Kansas City has felt starved 
um, in the Department of Stand-Up Comedy for a while, you know, um, for whatever reason. I mean, it's crazy that there's an improv in town, and they bring in great comics that they do, and half the three-fourths of the people I talk to all say the exact same thing. Kansas City really needs a comedy club. Like, you, I, and so they're in the disconnect. Yeah. There's a disconnect in the city for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe it's because they're out by the airport. Maybe I don't know. It's not, you know, it, it's not their roster. I don't, you know, they bring in great comics. Right. The city isn't relating to that. They want something else. They've expressed that. They want a new face for comedy. They want a new locally owned they want a, a club. The comics want a new home club. Uh, it just, the, the, Well, you know, that's one of the exciting uh, aspects of it for me is, you know, I live in California now and I have for, gosh, sneaking up on 10 years already, but uh, I, I I haven't had a home club in a long time. Like Stanford's, you know, they, the last few years of their existence, they weren't really about developing anyone or, or having a home club feel. They, were, they just wanted to, to get people in there and, and make some money. And, and they the, didn't it, care if they came back. That's the bad part is they didn't even care if they came back. What do you mean? Uh, you know, I know there's just several conversations of like when, you know, when they were even at Eighth and Walnut next to the hotel, they didn't care if how the show was as long as people paid for that show because they're next to a hotel. There's always going to be new people coming back, anyways. Right. Yeah. And it was verbally expressed that way, you know, and it was kind of that same mentality carried them even with their other clubs. You're right. They stopped really caring about producing talent, talent enhancement um, a long time ago, which is a shame because in the heyday when, you know, it seemed when there was, and maybe it was never them. Maybe it was the fact that you had people like Scott Steen and Elliot Three and Emory Emory coming in, like to, uh, to, to talk to younger comics, to help them, to tell them how to take a microphone out of the stand, to tell them not to do their act from behind a stool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, all those little things that a lot of comics don't they they don't know anymore because no one is around to to teach them. But you know, like you said, we knew all that stuff before you even really started. Like I knew, I think Dan Dan Brock or he used to go by Dan Looney or whatever his name is. Um, he told me he was like you have a you'll have a tendency to want to look at the microphone and and when he since he warned me of it, I had no I never even had that tendency, but. All that little stuff is important, moving the mic stand. I see comics in L.A. all the time that are supposed to be good, and I'm like, move the fucking mic stand. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like... No, we are, okay, we've, we've got a lot of support. It, it's funny, we have a lot of support, but we've also had to, like, undo some things. Like, uh, like some feelings and perspectives that have been left here before us, right? Um, it's... it's, 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 it's because of the taste that's been left in everybody's mouth from the previous club, whether it be agents, comics, local comics, touring comics, or even the people themselves in the city, it's like we have to. I've had to con- at first booking agents. I had to convince them I'm not with you know. You know, we have nothing to do with the old club. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's giving us an opportunity to bring comics back to Kansas City who haven't been here in a long time. Alondo Bowden, we have booked for the fall. He hasn't been here in over a decade, you know? Emo Phillips, I don't think, has been here since Westport. I mean, you know, so there's a lot of people who haven't been to Kansas City, who have Kansas City hasn't seen in a long time, and we have the opportunity to bring those to them. But, you know, as far as local comics, we're having a, a competition when we get started, right? And uh, and we've had like forty people submit it over to to see just to get an eye on local talent. And I can't tell you how many of these guys are like doing, like I said, doing their act from behind the mic stand or, or behind the stool, literally standing at a comedy club, doing your act just standing behind a stool. Yeah. Right? And so because there hasn't been a good club scene here, 
I, they develop a really good uh, indie scene. So there's a lot of like bar shows and like small theater shows, right? That they do that the comics almost had to put together in order to have a real scene. Yeah. Uh, it's not a problem, but the only problem is there's been, and I know we're going to deal with it, there's going to be a lot of egos from three year comics who think they control the scene who think they know how to do everything and you know, who won't be able to be taught or told a thing. And that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. That's okay because there's a lot of people who do want to learn, who do want to grow, and we are, are excited to work with the entire community and to, to give the comics a proper stage and to get them trained and help them to be in a position to start working the road to go to L.A. Nobody comes to Kansas City to quote-unquote make it. You know what I mean? Uh, but, like, it, what we can do here is make them as good as comics used to be when they left Kansas City, you know? Um, that's what we can aspire to do. Like, to, to, to get comics as strong as, like, you and Porter and, and Leon and Joe Hannigan because they're kind of after, like, a certain group, after, you know, Baldwin, Finney, myself, Conrad, stuff like that, it, there just was a bit of a gap. There's some funny people here, but they're not comparing to what it used to be because there's nobody who gives a crap enough to tell them or show them how to actually be on stage or off stage. You yeah. know, it's not just what you're doing on stage, it's the kind of person you are off the stage. I mean, I remember working the Lake of the Ozarks with Justin Leon, and he sat down and he's like, man, you know, when you're on there, you, you know, and when you're off stage, you have to continue to carry a certain, uh, you know, humbleness to you. It's like superhero versus Clark Kent, you know? You I mean, you're a superhero when you're on stage to the audience to a certain extent, but you have to be the Clark Kent off the stage. You have to be humble. You have to be good to people. And that's just as important. Tra taking care of your, your brethren, you're the servers, the waitstaff, bartender. I mean, it's all little things that make an entire package. Yeah, I was just having that conversation with uh, some guys, some young guys at the comedy store a couple nights ago. I was like, always be nice to the waitresses because you never know when they're going to be running a room. And and that's what Joe Caronia or one of those guys told me when I was first starting out, you know, um, and that always stuck with me. And, you know, not only is it just the right thing to do, but you don't know who you might be pissing off, you know, by being rude to the servers or, or whatever. I've had and there's a lot of comics that aren't uh, that apparently aren't nice. I've had a lot of servers be like, you're so nice. And I'm like, isn't everyone nice? And they're like, no, a lot of comics are dicks. And that makes me sad, you know, like. Don't, don't be a dick to the wait staff because you're the comedian. You know, that's just unacceptable. Um, but yeah, yeah. Are, 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 little, we, we added a little, uh, a little don't try to fuck our wait staff clause in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I've been there. Not, like, I, I've been a comic long enough. I was a comic long enough to know comics, right? And, and servers, I've seen it. I've heard the conversations. They can get uncomfortable. And especially today, especially today. Now, it may have been different even 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know. But it, today with the Me Too and the social justice war and just everything that it is, I'm not trying to get involved in So I just put a clause in there. If you try to fuck the wake staff and they get uncomfortable, you're, they're going to take the night off and you're going to pay for it because that's bullshit. You know what I mean? <laughs> just don't fuck the wake staff. Right? Yeah. Well, I quit drinking eight years ago, and I'm married now, so don't worry about me, buddy. <laughs> they might try to fuck you then. <laughs> oh, you're married, are you, Ted? Yeah, yeah, the whole crazy Ted Bundy thing. <laughs> um, experience is a big part of what we're doing, too. The management, the team we put in place, you know, um, even to our head bartender, Jeff Curry, who is the service bar manager at Stanford for a long time, just experience. He brought his son in uh, on board. So, you know, our bartenders are literally father and son, and, you know, which is nice because part of what we want to do is, you know, give the mystique of a comedy club, but give the, like, the warmth of, like, that pub around the corner, that locally owned pub around the corner, you know. So when people walk in and you see a father and son work, standing there at the bar, you're automatically like, ah, this is a family place. Yeah, I was, I was glad to see that, I, that, uh, that Jeff was going to be there because I, I really like him as a person. And Troy is also going to be a big part of the club. 
Troy Winter, um, and that's exciting for me because he was always uh, a great dude to have around. I mean, you talk about a great guy to have in the room during the show because he laughs his ass off, and you can always hear him. He, he'll laugh just as hard at a joke he's heard a hundred times as he will the first time he heard it. I mean, uh, he truly loves comedy, and that's a, 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 that's a big thing um, to have somebody that really appreciates it. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, man, I perform, I seem to perform better at clubs where like the manager the first night is like, Hey, that was really great. Or you're funny. Or, you know, I know that I shouldn't have to have that after 20 years, but it's still nice to hear, you know, and it makes you more comfortable. And when you know, they like what you do instead of just acting like they're pissed off the whole time they're, they're working with you. Um, so comic manager, Man, yeah. he is a comic-friendly manager. And it's, you know what? This is my first club. I've never done this before, right? Um, I've worked clubs. I've worked every inch of comedy clubs, you know, on on and off stage, you know, and the, the booking, the producing. But this is my first club. And, but Troy has opened clubs for Funny Bones and Bros. He's been general manager at Huntington, West Virginia, manager at other clubs. I mean, he's been, he knows, he, he can help us get started in ways that, you know, it's just, it's, it's unspeakable. That experience is, is really valuable. But he's, he's a comic-friendly manager. He was, he was always a manager who stood up for the comedians. When, when the club owners are telling them to, just to lie to them about how many tickets were sold, you know, so they wouldn't have to give them a bonus, Troy's the one speaking up like, if, why are you trying to fuck them? It's in your contract. Give them the money. Right? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's who I'm bringing in because that's the kind of club we're going to run. I mean, if you're, if you're a comic and you're selling tickets, you deserve your money. You know? You deserve what you earn. Yeah. And so I, I can appreciate that. I can respect that. It might change one day. You know, continue. Just fucking lie to them. <laughs> This is before my kid wanted to go to college. I had ethics. Fuck them. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What what night of the week? Do you know what night of the week you're gonna? Are you, are you having a weekly open mic? Tuesday nights. It'll be on Tuesdays once we get once we get uh, through our competition, and we might even do a late a late show after the competition. But yeah, we're gonna be doing Tuesday night open mic, some kind of. Uh, you know, some kind of showcase, best of Kansas City on Wednesdays, probably. Our main shows will be Thursday through Saturday with some occasional Sunday hangovers, you know, yeah, like uh, Easter, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, plot comics, stick around, you know, um, stuff like that um, for Sundays. Um, we're probably going to implement some kind of house show for late Thursday, like a, a you know, late Thursday, 10 o'clock show, 9.30 show or something. And, uh, and then we'll have independently produced shows on Sundays. We also have a 40-seat showroom upstairs. I don't know if it's going to be there when we open our doors at first, but we do have a second showroom upstairs that we really look forward to opening up to the local comics and to other comics who, you know, I mean, there is a, there is truth to, like, yeah, I'm a comic. I was a comic for a long time. You know, I have a lot of friends, and I want to be a friend, but there's a business side to it as well, you know? There's a business side where I have to sell, A, I have to sell tickets, B, my comics have to be a certain level. I mean, we, the spider, we, you know, we're, we, have, we have to earn the trust of the people of Kansas City that we are going to bring the funniest people on a weekly basis. But we also have to compete with the improv to a point where we have to bring legitimate comics, and we have to bring some big names once in a while. So having that 40-seat showroom allows me opportunities to say, you know, uh, hey, you're coming through town, I'm booked, but hey, we can give you the weekend upstairs, or hey, we can give you a night on your way through, or to let comics do, you know, get the local comics a show, with you know, performing on a Friday, on a Saturday. You know, just just more opportunity for talent enhancement, for community growth, and just everything. Yep. So we, there's a lot of aspects that we are looking forward to here. Yeah, there's all kinds of things. It sounds like you could do with that room. You could even uh, you could even yeah. you could even do a live podcast or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, I'm sure, 
I mean, every club's got to have a podcast now, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's almost easy, you know, because the comics are there every week. Like, this week on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty damned, uh, that'd be pretty cool, actually. It just depends on the comic, you know, all of them were willing to do it I'm and all that. Right. And that's kind of what we have. I guess we have had the conversation. So the conversation is either the comic or you actually get together on Sundays and talk about the week. So you talk about how the week went and how the local comics were perceiving the, the comic of, uh, of the week and how the audience reacted and maybe even just talk about the week if the if the comic's not there. You know, because some comics, you know, bigger, you know, they don't want to be bothered, which is understandable. There's no, you know, we're not going to fault them or think poorly of them for it. But right. you can still have a conversation about their, their greatness, how great they were. <laughs> Craig Craig Glazer, uh, a couple when when the club was in Overland Park, he uh, he he wanted to do he wanted to do this podcast where it was before the show, and I'm like, dude, that's kind of part of what stand up is. There's a certain uh, mystery element to us, and you don't enter do an interview and then be like, okay, now he's gonna come tell us some jokes. You know, that's just not how it works, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, it's like. I don't know that that part was uh, was awkward for me. Uh, uncomfortable. I remember watching that, and I think the one time I did see it, it, I just felt there thinking, "This is the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in my life." It's, just, <laughs> it's you know, uh, you're at a comedy club, and the owner is just spewing off the most racist bullshit in regards to probably I don't know if it was baseball or basketball. It was just so uncomfortable, and I'm like, "This is." This should not be happening, <laughs> but it did every Wednesday. Yeah, well, you should go to. Uh, I went to breakfast with Craig a couple of times, like between radios, and some of the stuff he would say with with family sitting like within arm's length of us. I just wanted to crawl under the table. I was like, "Oh my God, Craig! I can't believe you just asked me if I'd ever done that particular thing to a woman in front of a family of four. <laughs> at at seven thirty in the morning. Yes. <laughs> the guy was not smooth. I remember one time we were on a uh, uh, the porch, getting ready to go into radio. He was smoking or something, and some woman came up and and within like ten seconds, he said something racist. She was like, "I'm not comfortable with that." And he's like, "What?" All I said was, and she's like, "I know what you said." <laughs> you know, it, it's not even so. It's not even just him. There were other people like who would make me feel similar. Um, in, in comedy coming up. And like, you know, as a younger comic, some people would give you work or this or that. And so you feel like, hey, this guy. But then you're at a diner with them after the show and they're screaming the N-word in Springfield, Missouri. And you're just like, all right, I, this is not what I signed up for. Like, yeah. <laughs> you need to control yourself, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so, I just, you shouldn't have to put up with stuff like that. Um, to get on stage, to get work. I mean, you shouldn't have to put up with that. You shouldn't have to put up with people who make you feel like that. And that was one of the things, like, at first, in Stanford, when we were in Westport, it was uh, it was a community. It really was. It was uh, a place that you wanted to go because when you didn't want to be around anything else except comedy, and it's where you went because your friends didn't hang out with you anymore because you only hung out with comedians, right? It was just where you wanted to be and the people you wanted to be around. And that feeling lasted for a while, but eventually it went away when the focus of the comedy club became just drugs and management, you know. It just, it, it was a feeling, and it took me probably close to five years to realize that there are better feelings in comedy, that other clubs are not treating comics like this. It doesn't feel like this other places, and it shouldn't. It shouldn't be an uncomfortable, awkward situation. It's, a, it's You know, there's always a story. People will have stories forever, you know. Um, one day, the younger, you know, 10 years from now, newer comics won't even know of Stanford's, and well, all, the older comics will always have their memories, but, I mean, comics shouldn't have to put up with that, you know. Yeah. One uh, something I was going to say about uh, Jeff, who uh, who in the last couple years of his life, for whatever reason, I guess maybe he knew he was sick or something. He did become a lot more of a, a warm person and and just was a, a lot more pleasant to be around. Um, 
But there was one time where they were screwing me on my check or something. He goes, what do you do when this happens at other clubs? And I go, it doesn't happen at other clubs. <laughs> you guys are the only ones I have to deal with this about. You know, um, so. We have a nice bonus structure in place, man. We were for comics. We really do. If you're selling tickets, you're going to make the money. We have a bonus structure that we put out to almost all of our comics that says, hey, man, it doesn't matter if you have a million credits or one. If you're selling tickets, you have the opportunity to leave here with money. If we're selling, it's based off paid tickets, but it's it's a, it's a it's based off a structure that allows everybody to make money. And I think it's great. I You know, I, you know but again, we're in a club, we might learn our lesson, but I'm pretty sure... <laughs> <laughs> you're making money <laughs> you can pay your comics money <laughs> yeah I mean the the Comedy and Magic Club is one of the most successful rooms in the country and they pay their comedians well every night they feed us all I mean there'll be 10 or 15 of us and I know that food bill has to be expensive and 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 but they're always successful and there there's something to that it's like well they're they're not cheaping out on on the talent, you know, they they take good care of us, and they're still making a lot of money. So there's has to be uh, something to that with you know, treating people right and, and and all that stuff. So I wanted to ask you, uh, has this always been a dream for you um, to own a comedy club, or is it just something that kind of materialized and you saw an opportunity and took it, or or what? Um, I definitely saw the opportunity. I mean, I don't know when you're coming up. When you're, you know, 19, 20 years old doing comedy, you probably aren't thinking, I'm going to own a club one day. That's never, like, your probably goal. But, I mean, being a part of the comedy industry is all I care about, man. I love this business so much. Um, and even towards, uh, you know, towards when I stopped performing as much, I was producing shows more, almost as much as I was performing and enjoying it just as much, you know, um, booking, producing, putting on good shows, making, you know, it's always been something I've enjoyed. Um, and, and yeah, like through my time in LA, you know, I, I like, worked at Flappers. I mean, when I first got to LA, my, one of my first jobs I took was Flappers marketing, marketing, audio, video, uh, at, at Burbank and Claremont. I ran the kitchen at Claremont, you know, for a long time. Um, you know, doors, phones, not to mention when you're coming up to Stanford, you know, you just want to be a part of the clubs, you help people, you help stuff envelopes, you get anything you can do, I mean, work the kitchen there, so I mean, even on, even on, on stage, and even off the stage, I've always been able to like sit in and fill and work and learn every part of the, of the business, you know, um, and you know, it's still a learning process. Obviously, I have a lot to learn, but but yeah, I'm just honestly, I'm just really happy to be in this situation because there was a uh, a void in this town, and there was an opportunity. I had quit performing when I did, you know, a little bit. I didn't wasn't traveling. I was in sales. I almost thought of opening a carpet store. And really? After, I was like, for thirty five grand, I can have a badass little. Uh, order special order only carpet store because I was like I'm good at selling let's just do this and I would like Google flooring stores in Kansas City and there'd be like hundreds of them kind of like God ugh and then you Google <laughs> comedy club and like 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 the improv <laughs> and there's like this giant empty like the entire city just has nothing you're like well I mean yeah I mean carpets in demand people always need it but there is like almost no competition on this and it's what I want to do the guy I was working for last uh, at BR Carpet here in Blue Springs I was running the showroom and the guy was an installer for 20 years he knew the flooring industry inside and out it made sense for him to open a flooring store and have a flooring store I had just been in sales for a few years and wanted to own my own business but the more I thought about it not only the the, the market but just me it's like you know, the same way it makes sense for him to have a flooring store, it makes sense for me to open a club instead. Right. You know what I mean? All right. So, yeah, a little bit of both. I kind of fell into it. I just always just wanted to be involved with the industry in any way possible. So. Will it be hard uh, 
personally to uh, book who you like versus who you know will sell tickets? Like, like are there going to be – I mean, obviously there will probably be weeks where you have to kind of book someone that you don't personally – like um because you know they'll sell tickets um so will will that be difficult for you you think or or are you just going to try to book people that you personally like or or what uh well i love uh, <laughs> i don't know how to answer it i'm a hard i'm a hard guy to sell on buddy right so um there is a mix like, I don't want to book people on name value alone. Yeah. Right? But we but we do want to sell tickets. Like, funny first. Um, and it's like we talked about, like, you know, last fall. I called you and I said, hey, of the new clubs that are successful, what do you see them doing as opposed to the ones who aren't making it? And you said, and I've heard this from other people too, but you were the first one to say that the new clubs – that are trying to prove themselves as funny up front instead of trying to get rich out of the gate. Yeah. The ones that are successful are the ones that are still in business. And I, and I, and I, I believe that. I believe that to be the case. I've had a couple of club owners question a couple of my bookings because they haven't seen them or they don't know. But it's like, dude, come on. I mean, you can't, you know, I want to prove myself as funny. At the end of the day, I want people to come to the comedy club because it's the comedy club, because it's the thing to do, not just because who's there at the weekend. When you get people in the mindset of only coming out because of the comic there on the week, because of who's there, that's when you get into the situation of having to pay for your room all the time. I, I, I would have to assume it's like, because, oh, it, it's that guy, he's okay. It, you're taking away the, the mystique of the comedy club. It's just, it's not a, it's just about who's there that weekend. It's a, it's an experience. Yeah. So, yeah, I want, I'm bringing in people I think are funny. Um, but we have some good names. We have people that will sell tickets. And then we have some other people who I think are just next level funny, you know, um, who not everybody in Kansas City is going to know. Who they won't, but they're going to come and they'll get to know them. We have an opportunity in Kansas City because we're starting from scratch. We kind of have an opportunity to introduce some new faces to the city because they they kind of know uh, a lot of people. There have been a lot of comics who haven't worked, and maybe the city doesn't know, but there's a lot of comics who just wouldn't work Kansas City, whether they didn't want to work for the old club or they're just not a part of the improv roster. There's a lot of comics Kansas City has not been getting. So I have to take that opportunity to bring these people to Kansas City. It'll balance out. It's almost a little bit like the Royals, like uh, on, uh, in the sense of like, hey, we're going to take some guys and we're going to build a, a roster. We're going to build a team out of it, right? And in five years, they had a World Series winning team, right? It's from scratch. And that's partially kind of like people I truly believe in, whether I give them an opportunity or not, they're going to do wonderful things. But there are people, and I am going to be giving opportunities to some wonderful comics who aren't necessarily headlining everywhere. Maybe they're just breaking into headlining. Maybe they don't have a thousand credits yet. But they are funny. And when I say funny, Tim, you know as well as I do, people like Raj Sharma, J.C. Correa's funny, man. We're bringing in funny, funny talent. Yeah, that's, that's uh you know I I've always thought that was the main thing is is when a when a uh, fan or comedy club fan or a patron goes to the website if they don't know who it is it, it shouldn't matter they should just know that that club always has funny comedians and once you get that reputation then you know then when they have somebody then when you do have somebody big it's like oh sweet you know it's even it's even better but it it doesn't have to be that way in order to sell tickets so many people have done that to themselves and they've they've shot themselves in the foot so i think right. i think having that attitude about it will uh will help you guys uh, a lot and uh has there been anything about being a business owner already that's surprised you that you weren't counting on does uh this is kind of a two part question does does being a booker suck <laughs> like as far as the shit you have to deal with are people just driving you nuts i'm sorry it's like five questions but um it's the booking side of the learning process in the sense that i'm no longer ever going to say yes right off the bat unless i you know what i mean like okay i will get back <laughs> i will get back to 
<laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Um, and as far as the booking side, I know people are going to – there's always been people. Like, some people really like me. I have great friends, this and that. Sometimes not everybody loves me, and that's okay. I've dealt with that my whole life, and that's going to carry on as a booker. And I can't change that. You can't, If I try to please everybody and make everybody like me, I'm going to be miserable. You know? But it's the way it is. You're a booker. Some people will love you. Some people will hate you because they don't work the club. And that's just – and as a business owner, it's huge, huge, huge learning experience. Yeah. That I've never encountered that I'm just learning as I go and taking it as I go, putting together concept summaries, like looking good enough on paper for a landlord to get this schmuck, a, a, like a space and invest like tons of money for re- a build out, you know, uh, uh, to even the, the city part, the permitting, uh, the build out has been such a, a learning experience because it's not just a comedy club. You're opening a comedy club, you're opening a bar. And the biggest pain of the ass, the most expensive part of the whole thing is you're opening a restaurant, right? You get that kitchen is, it's important to have it. You know what I mean? It's important, the whole package. So it is a learning experience. And, you know, menu designing, drink menu designing, um, hiring, uh, you know, interior debt or just everything. I mean, everything. And it wasn't until the past couple of weeks where I started delegating some of the work out to my management because we're getting closer to opening. There's just more to do now. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a learning experience. And and, I'll, and again, I'm still learning and I still have a lot to learn. You know, there's some stuff that I hear other club owners say and I see it on paper. I've just never experienced it, you know? Yeah. Like, so it's just, yeah, it's a big learning experience. But again, I have a great team. I have a great support system and, and I just, you know, I've always had fight in me. I've always, you know, if I put my mind to something, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, you know, if there's, if I get to a point and it's a roadblock and I need to figure, and I need to learn something else to get through it, then I stop, I take a day, I take it to a day or two, I learn something else and I get through it. Yeah. That's kind of the process is learning as you go, taking things that you don't expect because I've never done it and then just dealing with it and and getting through it. So. Yeah, well, I have to admit, of all the, you know, if, if you would have lined up all the comics starting out when you started out and been like, which one of these guys is going to own a club in 20 years? I wouldn't have been like, that one right there, the one that's fucking stoned with a beard down to his belly, that dude. <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change. <laughs> yeah, man, well, uh, it's it's going to be, how, uh, it's going to be great, um, and it's going to be cool to be able to, to uh, raise your boys in that environment. You know, you've got two little boys now, right? I do, yeah. You know, the idea of having, like, a, a, you know, a business to, to leave them to run to this and that is, you know, it, it, to hopefully if they like it. If they don't like it already because of they will, but right now all they know is uh, there is a word called comedy club, and it takes a lot of daddy's attention right now. Yeah. Right? So they... They are like, can you not go to the comedy club? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I was working from home, and I still am just downstairs in my office. There's weeks where I see them for like 30 minutes, an hour a day, just because it is that constant. But, you know, um, but, you know, once you get open, once, you know, six months, couple of years down the road, you know, um, where I don't have to be so hands-on or I could just finally say, okay, I trust my management. I'm going to go home now. You know, yeah. stuff like that. But yeah. it'll, it'll be there. It'll work itself out. It'll balance out. But right now, it's it's a lot. And that's okay, though. So. Yeah, I... Uh... You know, last week I was on stage and I was having some really good shows in in Texas and uh, and it, it made me proud. You know, I was like, you know, my my kid's gonna think this is pretty cool that I do this. You know, um, right. you know, and and uh, and it's part it's part of what's so great about about this job is yeah, I have to be gone sometimes, but I'm gonna be able to be around my boy a lot. You know, like during the day, and I'm gonna take care of him and. Uh, you know, when his mom goes to work, back to work, and and you know that that part of it is is definitely a, a blessing. Um, I know that you have to. Uh, we're we're a little over at forty now, and I know that you have a lot of stuff to do today. You're about to interview interview some uh, staff. Uh, what's that? Yeah, I mean, I can go a few more minutes. I mean, yeah, 
my management, we have uh, open servers. We're hiring, interviewing servers today, but, you know, my management's got that taken. That's one thing I delegated, like hire servers. I'm like, Troy, it's your team. I don't want to deal with it. I have so much to do. Just, so my assistant manager set it all up and they'll all, so yeah, I do have to be there, but I have a few more minutes. It's okay. Who is your, uh, who's your personal favorite comedian? I mean, besides me, of course. Um, or do you, or do you have like a favorite style or? My kids are my favorite comedians. Yeah. Kids. Is that safe? Can I just say that? Sure. I like uh, funny, funny. I mean, at the end of the day, funny. I do enjoy intelligent comedy. Uh, you know, um, but I, my first earliest loves of comedy were George Carlin, right? And that was who I was listening to as a young child. Like, you know, um, I remember sneaking my dad's, like, Andrew Dice Clay tapes, but I do like intelligent and funny. Um, you know, uh, I've always had a little soft spot for aggressive comedy, you know, as long as it's done right and funny and, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I always have, I have always had a little soft spot for that. Um, yeah, when it's done right, a lot of people don't know how to do it and they just come off like assholes and they make people scared to sit in the front row and I'm like, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not I, how it's done. I was a fan of Bill Hicks and stuff before I, uh, I got into comedy. Sam Kennison, love, love, loves. And then, you know, and then you show up as a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid, and you get to watch James Edmond just have meltdown after meltdown. But, like, every single one of them almost is the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life, you know? Yeah. Um, right. I mean, and that, so, I mean, that didn't hurt my love for that kind of intelligent, aggressive style, Stan Hope, stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I know that uh, not everybody likes the same thing, right? And, and that's really important for us. In our booking is we want everybody in Kansas City to feel not only that they have a home at the comedy club, but they have a voice at yeah. the comedy club, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we have really diversified our roster, you know, uh, white, black, Middle Eastern, LGBT. I mean, we are great. We have... And we're circulating them. I mean, it goes like this. It doesn't stop. It's not just like, hey, let's get this group of people out. It's like we are going to constantly be representing everybody in Kansas City because everybody deserves to have a voice, you know? I mean, it's not, you know, it's so I'd like, you know, like uh, April, we have Eleanor, Kerrigan, and Colin Kane. They're both funny, a little dirty. Then we have uh, Eric Schwartz, who is, you know, obviously just animated. Uh, fun, easy going, and then we have Marshall Warfield, you know, uh, uh, an icon, uh, you know, uh, loved by everybody, uh, uh, older black woman, LGBT, I mean, there's nobody that this lady doesn't represent to us, you know what I mean, like, everybody, so I mean, we really are trying to, to lock that in as far as, like, giving everybody a voice and a face at the club. Yeah, and well, you know, and and when I was starting out in the first ten or fifteen years of my career, and just in the last few years with social media and all the, you know, crap about race and all that stuff, it, it, it's it's a little more divided than it used to be. Like the comedy club used to be where we all just laughed at at each other, and that's kind of what you know, not not sound like cheesy about it, but that's kind of what family does is they make fun of each other, but they still love each other. And it, it seemed like we were going in the right direction. And then lately it's just gotten so stupid. And then like, like now I, I talk quite a bit about race for a white guy in my act. And, and I always have black people come up and, and they're the ones who really enjoyed what I was saying and all this stuff. And the only people that ever get upset are like these older white women. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, can you just stop being mad for everyone and just enjoy yourself, you know? <laughs> There's something I don't, you know, I haven't really seen it because I haven't performed for the past couple of years, and I know, I know it's different. I know the country's different. I know the voices of the country are different. I, I you know, I can feel it. Everybody can feel it online, offline. It's insane. And it is different. So I haven't necessarily experienced how it's affecting the onstage part of it. I've talked to some people, but it is something that we are going to, that's going to be another learning thing for us if it really has changed, if it is different. You know, if you create the right environment, 
Yeah. Again, it's part of that trust. You know what I mean? It's part of getting the trust of the audience. It's like the comic has to gain the trust, but we have to gain the trust too. And if we can gain the trust for the comics, then as long as they're funny and not just being blatantly racist, I'm pretty sure that we can create a, a positive comedy environment for free speech. Yeah, yeah. I've uh, I've noticed it, but at the same time, there are definitely cities that uh, aren't as affected by it and, and still just are great places to do stand-up. And, and Kansas City, whether it's because I started there or what, uh, has always been one of those cities for me um, that people are just... They they know they're coming to hear jokes, and it's, uh, you know, at least it, it has been in the past. And I think with, with the addition of this club, it can get back to that, um, you know, because a, a comedy club is so much better and different than just one-nighters and, and that kind of stuff. And anyone who's done comedy knows the difference. I mean, you can headline a one-nighter, good for you. That doesn't mean you can headline a comedy club. It's a completely different thing. And a lot of people are delusional and don't realize that, but it, it, it is. So it's it's really exciting that, that, that you're going to be there for a, a lot of reasons. Um, not only is it a club I hope to work at least once a year, but uh, for the rest of my career. But... <laughs> Uh, it's going to be great for, for Kansas City comedy. Um, it was such a great place to start out, and it's there's so much. If you never want to leave Kansas City, if you just want to work out of Kansas City, it's a great place to do it. There is so much work within an eight-hour radius that you can get to if that's all you ever want to do. And when I started doing comedy, it wasn't to get famous. It was because I wanted to tell jokes for a living and travel around and get paid for it. And You're living your dream, buddy. Yeah. You know, sometimes people are like, people are like, man, you're so funny. You're going to make it. I'm like, motherfucker, I haven't had a day job in 18 years. I have made it. <laughs> I win. <laughs> I, I worked 45 minutes a day, dude. <laughs> yeah. Even when it's, even when it's bad, I was telling myself that the other night I had some show that I hated or something. And I was like, well, dude, you used to mow lawns in the, in, in the summer in Florida for $6 an hour. You're Okay. You know? <laughs> uh, that's yeah. So, uh, anyway, man, I'll, I'll let you go. Uh, is there anything you want to pimp or plug before we uh, get out of here? Where can people find the club and all that stuff? Uh, the Comedy Club of Kansas City, we are at comedyclubkc.com across the board. Uh, tickets are on sale. The Comedy Club KC .com, the website. Uh, follow us on find us on Facebook. Like the page. Follow us. Uh, our social media is, uh, marketing director is actually uh, Matt Keck uh, via VML Marketing here in Kansas City. Uh, you, he runs Wendy's Twitter account, actually. He's a comic here in Kansas City. He's got national recognition for, for his work there. Um, and so he's a buddy. He's a local comic. So he does it, you know, for a little cash on the side. So that's just kind of uh, a lot of the voice, a lot of the responses, a lot of the jokes on Facebook. That's where they're coming from. Um, uh, yeah, tickets are on sale. We're opening with Jeremiah Watkins, Leonard Oots, and Eric Griffin. And it's just going from there. You know, like I said, we're bringing in, you know, people like Lucas Brothers, and Emo Phillips, Marshall Warfield, Alonzo Bowden, Matt Bronger. You know, Louis Katz, I mean, Timmy Gaither, and, you know, and uh, it's just, it's the comedy club. We're trying to change the face in Kansas City, man, and I think we're going to do it. I think we can put some value back in the comedy in Kansas City, so. Yeah, well, wow. I'm uh, I'm hoping it works out, and, and it looks like I'm going to be in town. My week was going to be the 7th through the 9th. We've uh, moved that to November, but. Uh, there's a chance. There's a chance. There's a chance I'm going to do a, uh, a soft opening. Um, we'll we'll keep you guys um, abreast of that if that happens, um, and that would be around March seven, eight, or nine, one of those days. But we'll we'll keep you guys informed of that. Uh, Dustin, I really appreciate you coming on here, buddy. I know you got a lot to do, and uh, it was good talking thank to you. Thank you for having me on, and thank you for for this and you put in the club. Uh, not only uh, you know in the light for Kansas City, but in a light for. Uh, for the for the comics, for the comics to know that we are trying to fix the bridge uh, here in the Midwest, and yeah. we've already had people reaching out to us 
hey, I'm coming from Comedy Works, working my way east this way, or I'm going to be in town. And good, good comics. I mean, we're not even open yet. We have some really good comics reaching out to us, you know, even trying to book, like, weekday shows. So, man, we are we're doing everything we can. And so... Give us a chance. Come check it out, man. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to work out for you, and I uh, I look forward to seeing it. Um, we'll we'll try to even if even if we don't do the soft opening, we'll try to get by there, and uh, you can meet my boy, and I'll take a look right, at the buddy. club. So all right, thank you, Tim. You bet, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dustin. Right. Bye bye. All right, everybody. That was my buddy Dustin Kaufman, who. Uh, yeah, it's really cool that he's uh, uh, doing this, and I think it's going to work out well for Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> yeah, everybody go to makingithappen.com, M-A-C-A-N, ithappen.com. Help out little Bo Macon. Uh, go to timgathercomedy.com, and uh, please follow me on my social media links, at GaitherTim for Twitter, at TimGather for Instagram. Um, yeah, all my social media links are on there. Give us good reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud, wherever you listen to this podcast. Um, I'm going to have some exciting guests coming up soon. Uh, there's something I was going to tell you guys, and I cannot think of, my, think of it for the life of me. Um, I'm getting ready to get into an argument with somebody on Instagram. I, I don't know why I do this, but occasionally someone on Instagram will say something. It's always about wrestling, by the way. They'll say something so mind-numbingly stupid that I have to respond. I don't have to, but I do. And then they respond back like any moron would, and it just pisses me off. <laughs> and I just read the comment, and I don't know why I read it like as I'm doing this podcast to finish it, but I read the comment and it pissed me off and I'm I'm uh I should just delete it and not argue with somebody who doesn't even know what they're talking about, but it's hard for me, guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, the baby is doing great. He's he's a champion. He's beautiful. He smiles all the time now. And uh, uh, my wife's doing a great job. You mothers out there, God bless all of you. You have such a difficult job. Um, anyway, thanks for listening to this podcast. Uh, make sure if you're in Kansas City that you that you help out uh, the comedy club of Kansas City because uh, Dustin has a great heart and he has a great. Uh, vision for what what they want it to be in Kansas City and uh and, and it, it, it needs your support they they cannot do it with without the support of Kansas City and the people of that city and uh it's a great place to do comedy and to uh, be a comedy club fan so uh make sure you uh, support that in any way you can i'm going to be at the Reno Laugh Factory February 12th through through 17 i know i have some listeners in Reno so I will be at the Laugh Factory inside the Silver Legacy Casino and Hotel at the beautiful Laugh Factory Comedy Club there, February 12th through 17th with my buddy Kurt Fletcher. And yeah, that's it. TimGatherComedy.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless all of you. Bye-bye.